Hello, everyone. Welcome this Friday to Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you today. As you can see, we are not just Tim and Keith today. We actually have a special guest, Kyle Davies, with us. Kyle comes to us by our good friend, Robin. Um, Robin, who's always supporting us and loving us. Um, but before we go too far, Kyle and Keith, I want you guys to say hi. Who wants to start? Go to go, Keith? Kyle, you go first. You're the guest. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure to have you. Uh, yeah, it's good to be with you, Tim, yet again. Happy to have Kyle with us. And yes, Robin is a big supporter of uh, Hollywood Breaks, and uh, I'm glad she was able to make the introduction to Kyle so he can come join us today. Okay, Kyle, I got to admit, uh, since I've heard uh, your name and the, what you've done in the past, and, and to think that we're going to have you on Hollywood Breaks is, is very exciting to me because, to be honest, I think some of the people we pick on the most in Hollywood Breaks are the distributors and the exhibitors because that's the biggest disruption we've seen it since the pandemic. Um, but before we go too far, I just kind of want to hear the background, let the audience know, um, you know, what your title is, where you've worked, kind of give us a sense of why we think you're actually an expert in this field before we just start throwing this at you. Yeah, that, that's a stretch. To say. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I actually started my career, I mean, going way back to the uh, 80s, 87. I actually started, uh, on the exhibition side, so theater chains. And uh, people, people may not know, but all the theater companies, AMC, Regal, to Alamo, to Arclight, all of them, no matter how big, how small, all have a buying or booking or content licensing department. And these are executives who work with the studios to make sure, you know, we're gonna play this movie, that movie, what, what's the financial arrangement, how long is it going to stay on screen, the marketing of it, et cetera. So I started with a company called General Cinema, which later got bought by AMC. And so I started my career and then I worked for National Amusements, which is uh, Sumner Redstone's uh, theater company that he started in, in Boston many, many years ago. So I started on the exhibition side and then um, I jumped over to the distribution side with DreamWorks in the 90s. Uh, and then I did, I went to Paramount, uh, when Paramount bought DreamWorks. And then I did a couple of small independent, uh, companies, Overture, Relativity. And then most recently I was a uh, head of domestic distribution at Paramount. So I've done the theater side. I've done the, uh, distribution side at small companies and big studios. So Dude, that's... you've seen a lot of movies. <laughs> I have. I've seen a lot of great movies. I've seen a lot of terrible movies yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so what you gotta be honest with us here for a second right so when a bad movie comes out you're bundling that with a good movie right you're making the exhibitors take the the bad one to say if you want star wars you don't have to take well that's actually illegal under the <laughs> oh come on nice kid <laughs> under the paramount decrees which are actually getting repealed but and historically that that has been something you can't do you can't hold a movie hostage each movie is an individual agreement um, now having said that if you are at a company that has just a ton of big tentpole movies that an exhibitor wants it, it doesn't even have to be said um, you know you're probably gonna tread lightly and you know, it's, it's hard to cherry pick the, the 
exhibition distribution is a relationship business. Mm -hmm. And so the distributor, the studio, however big, small, counts on the exhibitors to take care of them and play the movies. Now, uh, that doesn't mean they play every theater and give the studio everything they want. There's always this push-pull that's, that's a constant. There's this kind of tension between distribution and exhibition. They both depend on each other, absolute codependence to get to the finish line. Studios want their movies in theaters. That's how they monetize them in the theatrical window. Theaters are absolutely dependent on this content. So they rely on each other and they, so there is a fair amount, uh, quite a bit of cooperation, but their agendas vary. And so there's an occasional sure. skirmish on things. But now, I'm going to say the evolution that you've seen the, is like the multiplex already existed to some degree, but the multiplex changed the game, right? I mean, the thought that it was only tentpole events because there was one large theater. It only had, you know, four showings in a day or eight showings in a day, whatever a big theater can do. Um, when you got to a multiplex, they can't have the, the tentpole in the big theater and then the small theaters to the left and right of that theater. So I'm going to guess the exhibitors actually wanted a feed of content as well. They they had to fill up the seats and and pay the rent in the in the smaller studio theaters as well as the big ones. Yeah, I mean, obviously we could we could spend hours talking about the history of it, you know, going back to, you know, many many decades ago. But, you know, in recent history there's there's been two big evolutions. One, there's been you know, in the 90s, like if you had a theater that was 10 or 12 screens, that was like, that's a lot of screens. And then AMC built the first Megaplex. Uh, it was actually in Dallas. It was a 24plex. When, when, you know, when we all heard that was happening, we're like, 24 screens. Why would you do that? How could you fill that? It made no sense. And then the numbers that came out were huge. Hmm. Uh, people wanted that you know, this massive spectacle. Uh, and, and as you say, with multiple screens, you were able to program staggered show times, right? So instead of worrying that I had to go see the movie at seven o'clock, there was going to be a show at 7.15 and 7.45 and, and so on. It was and almost like TiVo for films, right? Because I do remember my behavior in the 90s of like, let's go to the theater and then decide what we're going to see. That's Instead right. Instead of kind go of, to the theater to see something. It, it kind of gave it an on-demand element and they were able to play a lot more movies. Uh, so definitely. And it was just an exciting place because there were so many people. It was this real destination. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, that, that started a feeding frenzy between theater owners. All the major circuits started building these things. And, and the other thing is they were stadium seating that was like wow that's a big deal mm -hmm. created better sight lines you know and and so a lot a lot of the national and regional chains went crazy either building these megaplexes or retrofitting their existing theaters with the stadium it was very expensive and it kind of was a bubble and there were a lot of bankruptcies because it just got out of hand mm. so but yes that so the that was one thing that this megaplex, uh, it, it really allowed theaters to gross more with all these showtimes. 
Um, and then the other thing you saw in recent history on the studio side was really the creation of a tent pole, but it took on a new life, right? So back in the day, if a movie did a hundred million, that was like home run. Yeah, right. Uh, but with Marvel, Pixar, um, you know, these franchises that were just marketed to a global audience and just eventized, uh, Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, I mean, the list goes on. These things would gross a hundred million. I mean, they were grossing a hundred million opening weekend. Every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, the, the Titanic day. hitting a billion or whatever. Yeah. Was, exactly. And so major feat, yeah. it just it it everything grew, grew, grew. And um I think that's that's been a good thing. It's so that's the bubble you, we we're all kind of feeling that's busting right now because the, the megaplex, um, although this the space is there and maybe even the content because I feel like, you know, you can see with Netflix and and others like they're releasing a movie a week. There's no shortage of content being made. It's just the viewer actually doesn't want to leave their house. So then what we have is a bunch of empty real estate nowadays, right? Well, I mean, it's you know obviously because of the pandemic, you know, that there's the theaters are sitting empty, but I guess you have to look at the effect Netflix and the, the streaming companies have had on theater going. And, and let's look at it pre-pandemic because I don't, that's a bit of a, an anomaly, I hope. <laughs> um, you know, it's so funny because I mean, remember when Netflix was just to get the red envelopes with your DVD. I mean, that's <laughs> what it was, you know, really when it started in the same way Amazon was a bookstore, right? Things, yep. things grow. Um, but the proliferation of streaming and they, you know, quality content, the impact that had was, I think, was the movies that were kind of, not the tentpole, because I think that the, the blockbuster tentpole, Star Wars, you know, those movies, most people want to see that on the big screen with big sound, it's an event, you're, you're with people, you know, it, it's, that still is a special occasion. And I think people will always want to see those in theaters, but the effect you saw on the smaller movies was, like you said, you can lay on your couch and watch quality content on demand, no commercials with the push of a button. And so the kind of singles and doubles that would tend to thrive theatrically I think that audience was kind of getting, you know, two things. One, people were, it was getting cannibalized because people are watching it at home. And yeah. two, I think it raised the bar for the quality, uh, which isn't a bad thing. But, you know, if the theatrical, if going to the movies was really your, your primary source of entertainment, you know, you would go see a movie, you would take a flyer on a movie uh, and it may not be great. But if, if there's quality stuff at home, you, you know, you can't just put something out there that's, you know, a C and expect people to run out to see it. It's, uh, it's raised the bar. And that may be a good thing. Well, yeah, maybe. I, I, I think Netflix is challenging raising the bar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring that up, the quality factor, because we had a chat last week about Tom Rothman who did a podcast when he talked a lot about um, how when theaters are fully open, we're gonna have to bring our A game. It's like, we can't go back to just making 
you know, the, 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 like you said, the single and the doubles, we got to make like home runs every time because that's really what's going to take yeah. to bring people back to the theater. I did want to ask you because, you know, we talked a little bit pre-show before you jumped on, you know, cause in my experience, yes, distribution is probably one of the most relationship based positions in the industry. I mean, one just has to go to CinemaCon one year to see, <laughs> to see that on full display. Right. But I'm wondering, it, you know, everything that's going on, like obviously we saw a little dust up with AMC and Universal earlier on in the pandemic with Trolls World Tour. They obviously resolved that. But, you know, AMC came out very strong and said, we're not releasing a Universal movie ever, right, when that came out. Do you think that a lot of these relationships, as, as you said, that are so strong are so stressed that it may cause some, uh, you know, a rupture? Or do you think once theaters, everything will just kind of go back to normal and you know, everyone will sort of, you know, there'll be the, the tension, as you said, the push and pull relationship that's pretty standard. Or do you think there's an actual real shift that's happening in terms of the relationship between the studios and, and the exhibitors? I, I don't, I don't think, well, I think because of the pandemic has accelerated this uh, friction about windows mm -hmm. because the studios don't have access to the theaters. And look, the theaters have survived on this, exclusive theatrical window and they're terrified of of a world without it i hate to say terrified highly concerned about a world without it because their buildings are made for one thing people don't buy a ticket to go eat junior mints they buy a ticket to go see a movie and then they buy junior mints so that model works but th this window is is hugely important to them. Now, the truth is no one really knows what's going to happen. I mean, you, you've seen experimentation with Windows right now, but there's a pandemic. So what happens when life is normal and Windows are adjusted? Well, no one really knows. We think we know. If you ask 10 people from 10 disciplines, what's your opinion of, you know, a short window, no window, whatever, you're going to get 10 different answers, I guarantee you. Um, so, I, but to answer your question, it, I don't think the friction right now is going to rupture any relationship because like I said, they need each other. They want each other. It's a $40 billion global business. There's, I doubt the studios are just going to turn their back on that and say, eh, that, that was great. I don't care anymore. I, th I think they do care. Um, but it's, it's going to accelerate these, these hard conversations. Um, They've also spoiled us a little bit, right? Because now HBO Max, uh, Disney Plus, uh, Paramount Plus, um, I get immediate release at home. Um, and are, and they're going to compete with each other, right, for subs and kind of want people to stay on their platform, keep on paying for the subscription, subscription prices for it. And if you take a 45-day window that I become accustomed to and then move it to 90 days in the future, I might drop my subscription to HBO Max. Like, I'll just go to the theater for the, the 20 or 30 bucks instead of paying 20 bucks for HBO Max for the same one-time release I hit I'm going to get or whatever on those on those platforms. I think Disney probably is in a pretty good place because their media library is great and they're obviously making, they're playing it well, this this Marvel, Wanda, WandaVision rollout and these um, Star Wars rollouts are doing. It's just so fascinating and I'm kind of addicted to, to still play in this universe, but the other theaters, I'm 
I, I, yeah, I can imagine they're going to cannibalize each other somehow, somehow, some way. Yeah, and I, um, I think it's an interesting time because there are so many influences just boiling to a head. It's hard to know which way things will go. I do think ultimately, because exhibition and distribution, they, I think, I do believe studios want a thriving theatrical business. Will it look the way it's looked in the past? No, but I do think they'll work it out. I don't, I don't think there's any one formula now that everyone's like, this is what, what's going to happen. I think that's going to develop over the next couple of years. But I think that, you know, you talk about um, windows and uh, it's, it's interesting because if you watch a movie at home, it's a different experience than seeing it in a theater. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's different. There's, it's, there's great things about watching a streaming movie at home. Highly convenient, you know, no commercials. It's, you know, right there. You don't have to leave the house. That's great. But it's not the same because if you watch a movie, you're going to pause it. You're going to get up and go to the kitchen. Hey, turn the subtitles on. I couldn't understand what he said. Then you fall asleep an hour in, right? And it's, yeah. so it's, it's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. It's great to have this content at the touch of a button. But when you go to a theater, it's a social experience. It's hard to replicate that massive screen and that massive sound. It elevates the experience. And I think there's room for both. And, but, and Kyle, I'll admit that those chairs that almost go level with the heated seats, they put me to sleep just as well as my couch <laughs> too. That room, this is good. <laughs> That's a danger. I, I, I never recline the whole yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. You recline all the way, you'll fall asleep. so yummy. <laughs> no, it's pretty nice. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, whole, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Say, I remember the days when I would go to the Grove um, in that Pacific theater there. And it's just the energy in that place when you walk in and you know, you're getting ready to go see a movie and you just get excited. And I can't tell many movies I've seen there that, that it's a, di you're right. It's a totally different experience in terms of what you do when you go home. Right. Um, I, I would like to ask you, cause you brought up the Paramount decree. And as you mentioned that it, it's being overturned. Um, do you think that more studios are going to start getting into the sort of exhibitor exhibit exhibition space? Like you have El Capitan on Hollywood Boulevard, which is owned by Disney. Then you have, uh, Netflix buying a theater as well. Do you see Disney getting more into that and also potentially NBC Universal because obviously they have their theater, their amusement park, so they, they're used to the customer experience. Do you think you'd see some of those changes happening or do you think that's store, still a few years off? I think, I think by and large, you're not gonna see a lot of that because the theater business is not a simple business. It is not an easy business to run. Um, and I don't, you know, I, you might see kind of a, a here and there thing, like the examples you just brought up, but by and large, I could be wrong, obviously, but I, by and large, I don't think the studios, that that's a commitment to get into a, a whole nother business. And it is, it requires a lot of attention. You know, it's, it's not, uh, not for the faint of heart. So I'm it's not going to see that. My theory a little bit is, is there's some shrewd, um business going on with some of these the oh now that you have video on demand at the studio 
you can actually, you know, hold back on the exhibitors, kind of put them in a situation and then acquire them. Like for me, AMC and Universal seem very, very closely related, especially with some of the deals that they've made after the trolls uh, fall out. That you can almost imagine, even if they stay separate corporations, that Universal will have some say in the in how the exhibitor will behave, because we know that you know theater goers want something more to the experience now than just the junior mints and the warm seats, right? Because I can now get that at home within 30 days of the, of the feature release. So I am I, I think there's gonna be a play here. There's gonna be some shrewd CEO on one of these studios that's gonna go like, well, we're gonna hold back because we actually don't need you anymore. We have 100 million subs and don't need you exhibitors anymore. Wait for the exhibitors to get hurt and then step in and, and take over Pacific theaters. Not that I'm saying which studio <laughs> I think that's gonna be, but. <laughs> I will see. I mean, look, I, I think the, the studios know they're going to get access to the theaters will there be you know uh some butting of heads to resolve the window the deal what it looks like of course that's anytime there's a change in the the you know the, the standard business model there's going to be a little dust you know kicked up but i think at the end of the day both parties know they need to get to the finish line together and it's going to get worked out whether or not a CEO thinks it's a shrewd financial investment, that's another story. But I think the studios have their hands full with right now, <laughs> focusing on these, these streaming platforms. How do they compete against each other? Um, so we'll see. But that's, that's you know, one, one of the things that's interesting is you talk about all the different windows. I remember we had, there was a, a study a survey. The, tr the truth of the matter is most, your average consumer doesn't know what the normal theatrical window is. You know, now we know because we're in the business, you know, it used to be 120 days until DVD or VHS back then. That shrunk down to the 90. And then once, you know, the digital became a reality, you know, you would, sh the digital, it would shrink to like 70, 72 days. Like, if you if you went below 70 days you would get a phone call from an exhibitor saying what are you doing but the survey would, that they had done said the average consumer doesn't know if it's two weeks three months they, they don't know and so i think we all in the business get a little fixated with what the windows are so yeah sure yeah. i can imagine the disruption too because i know the longer it sits in the exhibitor's house, the more the exhibitor makes. So the studio wants to pull it out, especially if they can get to DVD rights and, and now digital distribution rights and start collecting money that they have more control over than the exhibitor side. They wanna shrink that exhibition window as short as possible. But I think that from the filmmaker point of view, you kind of have to like let it play out. I mean, it's very exciting to have your your uh, movie in the theaters for two months, three months. That's a, that's a really amazing run. That, that's the Titanic experience that we all had or the Avatar experience we had was like, it seemed like it was always in the theater and the line was still long a few months later, right? Uh, Perpetual date movie was th those, I, I wonder how broken that that ongoing experience is gonna be in the future here. I think that's, that's one thing that'll be interesting is the movies that, that would surprise, there's always some movies that would surprise you that, People thought, ah, it'll be fine. 
and it just became this groundswell the audience it somehow connected with audience and it played and played and played now the truth is most movies do 80 percent of their business in a couple weeks right it's because the studios are so effective at creating this marketing event you know x movie opens friday everyone goes and then it drops off pretty quickly um that's most movies the now so what's the balance going to be they they want to take they're spending so much in marketing i mean the the pna the the prince and advertise you know that's the kind of term pna um but the marketing spend on a movie has not gone down if anything it's gone up Mm. so historically what the part of the reason for the shortened window was they the studio wants to ride the wave of that marketing right get it in theaters make money but don't wait so long that it's out of theaters and and just sitting on the sideline for two months so that they have to spend a whole new chunk of marketing dollars to marketing it to the world they want to ride that wave then you've got the factor that now most of them all have ott streaming platforms and certainly they want to feed that beast too so it's it's all these effects just you know trying to uh get the right balance that's gonna you know if the window's too soon you're probably going to cannibalize theatrical we don't really know um but it's it's going to be interesting but my concern is the movies that you talk about i mean we could all come up with some but there are movies that have just played and played and played and yeah. it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to go to a platform on 30 days or 45 days you know i don't know that we'll see how that plays out okay so when you're sitting there on the phone or texting your other exhibitor buddies give us the inside scoop of what you guys are actually saying to each other are you guys saying like this is total crap and i can't believe it and we we're getting screwed are you saying like oh my gosh we're killing it or like well, there's i mean there's a million different conversations so i mean it can be um you know, tell us the juicy ones Come on, Kyle. <laughs> well, <laughs> It depends on what your your role is. I mean, as as probably someone at the at the as a head of distribution, the conversations run the gamut. You know, you can be promoting a movie that's coming down the line, uh, or it can be you know very granular, which you know, the kind of the weekly you know bump is you know the studios are trying to keep the movie on the screen, exhibitors. Mm -hmm are you know their their job their business is butts and seats so they tend to have a one week view of things and like what can how can we maximize attendance on a weekly basis even if the studio so the studio is going to insist keep my movie on the screen forever you know as long as you because can. because specifically the movie makes a the studio makes a rental rate so the longer the the movies on the screen, the more money the studio is making. So they want to keep the, the, the on the screen. The exhibitor wants people to show up. So if you give me a bomb movie and no one's showing up and, and I have to rent their real estate to somebody, I pull your print and put a different. Um, I think I think what it, it has tended to be over the past few years is the exhibitors want the new shiny movie, you know, flavor of the week that's going to drive a lot of bodies in and the studios are like people still want to see my movie don't cut the legs off it's that kind of conversation yeah. um there's marketing conversation you know we need our trailer you know 
please play our trailer. You know, that's limited real estate. So that that that's a whole political skirmish. I mean, it, there's just nuts and bolts conversations, yeah. and there's. I I did want to ask you, uh, Kyle, before we wrap up here. Um, so I'm sure you're familiar with the restructure that's happening at Disney. Um, sort of with Kareem Daniel coming in and starting this media distribute entertainment distribution uh, division and now with Tony Chambers now being sort of the head of distribution and him being shifted away from reporting to Alan Bergman and reporting into Kareem's division which is sort of kind of a, a big move in terms of the, how the industry is typically and studios are typically set up do you think that's something that's going to become pretty much standard or is it just sort of Disney sort of playing at the margins because they've seen such a success with Disney plus so they're sort of a one-off uh, you know that that's a hard one. I, I think I think there will continue to be I don't know if consolidation is the right word, but streamlining of of the, how the departments uh, mm -hmm. report up. Um, and it really will. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, you know, I mean, it's look, it's a global business. It's now you can't. You don't want things it's always a matter of balance. You don't want things so siloed that home entertainment is not talking to the pay TV that handles all the streaming. It's not talking to theatrical. That doesn't work. They have to work together. On the other hand, you know, if one of those departments is, you know, kind of marginalized, you know, it that doesn't work either. So it's really this kind of balance of a global business with big pieces that all matter and you know truly working together to get the best for everybody mm -hmm. and you know that's just a, a question of, of great management i think yeah. keith i think we just heard why kyle was the head of distribution at all these <laughs> major <much>. studios <laughs> he's a good very, very good diplomat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're a little bit more cynical. Like we yeah, think but, hey, these right. guys are flexing some muscle and pushing people around. And <laughs> you, you clearly are the reason why you're the executive. <laughs> well, it's uh, look. I think they all have a vested interest, vested interest in in getting, you know, the best of each of these worlds. But it, you know, the, the reality is things change. I mean, you can look back at things in our industry that happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago that people were like it's the death it's the end it's over and it never turned out to be you know mm -hmm. people love big entertainment they love getting out of the house i mean it's it's when you compare going a trip to the movies even though people complain about ticket prices that's just a pastime to complain about you know how much a giant coke cost and how much a ticket costs but when you compare that cost to what else are you going to do? You know, if you go to a football game or uh, a restaurant, I mean, you know, it's a pretty reasonably priced form of entertainment. Uh, and I think that will always be there. Yeah. And, then, you know, look, 20 years ago, did you ever think you'd be able to watch the content that you get to see without commercials streaming with the push of a button on your phone, your laptop? You know, no one thought that. Yeah, anywhere on the planet at any time, airplane, yeah. wherever. Yeah. yeah, it's and it keeps changing. It keeps, yeah. it, you know. But uh, look, I, I and part of this is the pandemic thing. 
but I mean, I can't wait. I can't wait to get into the movies. I just almost would buy a ticket to see anything. You know, it's interesting. You you brought up something um, that my old boss back at Fox, Tony Sella, used to say. He said, "Where else and in what business can you get something that was made for two hundred million dollars and you are paying twenty bucks to see it? Like, yeah. there's no other business where that applies." So that's that's well taken to your point about you're right it's a pastime complaining about the ticket prices how much you pay for coke but when you actually blow it down when you go to see a, the avengers you're looking at a 250 million dollar movie that 250 million dollars was invested and you're paying 20 bucks to look at if, if you spent two and a half hours in, in a theater uh and you saw a movie that you really liked that's great i yeah. mean no one complains then you can't, you can't yeah and again to your point you just don't get that feeling I mean, I've watched a couple of the Warner Brothers movies that have been released on HBO Max, and it's just not the same. Like, it just, you don't get wrapped up in the story. You just don't feel it as much. And, and I think there might be a yearning for that. And we'll kind of have to see how that shakes out once we come out from the pandemic. Well, if you're willing to pay 500 bucks, you can get on a plane and go shake Liam Neeson's hand today. <laughs> yeah, or you can just get on the train, Amtrak. There's nobody oh, there. That's true. Keeps in Philadelphia. <laughs> Keith's only $120 away. I'm only $120. Well, if I take this sell, I'm only $120, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I'm with you. There is, uh, we're just fans. Like, I think we're, uh, we talk about this all the time, but movies is the place and, and something we grew up on. Um, and, yeah. and that's something, we, I'm with you. I know it's going to continue. Um, I just always just think of like what this opportunity then come, what opportunities then come because of the disruption. And besides right. just getting Liam Neeson's autograph, which is a rare movie going experience, um, there's a, I do believe that the storytellers, the creators, are going to have a, a new platforms to put places in. I kind of believe that the the multiplex is going to shrink down to some more of big tent um, kind of thinking or art film kind of places like we're going to go there because it's a place a place where you, and, a, and a theatrical experience that you want to have for a specific film where like the blockbusters are going to play out for for weeks on the, the vod platforms yeah and none of us really know but I, I agree i think you know the old adage where there's adversity there's opportunity i think it actually could fuel content creation um and you know, look, there might be a shakeout in the theater world where some theaters just don't survive. And, and the truth is, there's a lot of theaters in, in the US. I mean, there's a lot of theaters. It's, there might be too many, you know, and, and so maybe not everyone will survive. Um, I think what you're going to see is a real crunch as we move forward and things restart is a push for seats, you know, um, because with, with all this reclinerization of, of cinemas over the past few years, you know, you, you lose a lot of seats when you do that. Right. And, and so uh, I think that that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I, I am, I'm optimistic, I'm bullish. I think people love going and it's, it's growing pains. I hate to say growing pains because it's, it's been around forever, but there are periodically as the media as the landscape changes uh you know bumps in the road and then we all figure it out because uh it's to everyone's benefit and then things will go cruise along for 10 years and then there'll be more bumps that's just the yeah. way it is. <laughs> well i love those uh i love those parting words 
Kyle, you are, I, I haven't met you before this time, but you are an encouragement. I really do appreciate the insights that you gave us. Um, Happy to, to be here. Thank you very a, much for having me. Yeah. The, the world is blessed to have you around. Look forward to more opportunities we have to talk to you and we might drag you in as things get a little heated up in the, in the industry. We need more insider scoop. Anytime, anytime. I love it. All right, guys. Well, good to talk to you. And Keith, good to see you again. We'll see you next week, Hollywood Breaks. I just want to say thanks to Curly Joe and Lydia behind the scenes, kind of keeping us going, making this show happen. And all our friends at Go Social, keeping this thing out there and pushing it forward so more and more people get to watch the show. If you like what you see, you want to know Kyle, feel free to kind of just look at our show notes. Um, we'll be able to like LinkedIn him or Instagram him or whatever we can do to get you connected and follow some of his feed. Also, just subscribe here. We have more of Keith's friends coming up. And as you can see, Keith has good friends. So we're going to keep these good people coming. Until next week, we'll see you on Hollywood Breaks. Bye.